9, verse 10 reads, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost or broken or less than perfect. And in John chapter 10, we discover Jesus attempting to communicate this message by using a setting that would have been most familiar to his original audience. I don't think you or I could travel far in first century Palestine without hearing the bleeding of sheep. And so Jesus, the master teacher, uses images or pictures or figures of speech, according to verse 6 of my NASB Bible. From the world of shepherding sheep to explain his ministry, what he was here to accomplish. The first 21 verses of John chapter 10, Jesus uses three pictures or images that become visual aids in helping us to understand exactly what seeking and saving the lost might look like from a shepherd's perspective. Please, if you're able, stand with me for the reading from God's Word this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of John chapter 10. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger simply will not, fo- they, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech which Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand that those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? This is God's reading from God's word this morning. Please be seated. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to think about it, to meditate on it, to allow it to enter our minds and penetrate our hearts. We pray as we reflect and think about this passage of scripture this morning, that it would indeed get into our hearts. And once in our hearts, may it bear much fruit and change our behavior so that we become more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Picture number one is presented in verses one through six. It's a picture of a sheepfold or a sheep pen, according to the NIV. The sheep pen represented that system of Judaism, the religious system of Judaism. Jesus had come to lead his sheep out of the Judaism sheep pen and into a genuine saving faith. He's doing the same today. He's calling his own sheep by name, and they are, as they are exposed to the written word of God, and he leads them out of their unbelief, regardless of how that unbelief may be manifested in their life. It may be a works-based faith. They're trying to be somehow live good enough lives that they are acceptable to God. That's how I lived for the first 17 years of my life, hoping that I would be good enough and somehow the good would outweigh the bad and God would allow me into his heaven. Maybe it's a commitment to a false religion. We have a couple of good examples to the north and to the south of us here in Woodstock's church row. Or maybe it's a preoccupation with living just for today. The tagline for this manifestation of unbelief would be, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Or maybe it's just a, just a plain old stubborn unbelief, refusing to acknowledge the existence of God. It doesn't matter how that unbelief might be manifested in our lives. Jesus is calling and leading his own sheep out of unbelief into a genuine saving faith. The next picture was a picture of the sheep door, or gate. Verse 7, notice it. 
So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. No one gets in to the sheep except through Jesus. And no one, no sheep, gets out of the sheep pen unless they pass through the shepherd. Jesus functions as the door. It's a definite article. And remember, the I is emphatic in the original language. And so a parallel passage to this verse would be John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty exclusive to me. Jesus is the one and only point of entry. There are no other options, no other access to become part of his flock except through him. John chapter 1, verse 12, we read it earlier, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who will believe in his name, trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation is how we become part of his flock. That brings us to the third word picture. Look at the first part of verse 11. I am the good shepherd. That's the fourth of seven times where that I am am phrase appears in John's gospel of Jesus Christ. So far, we found John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door or the gate. And then here in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. That fourth I am doesn't require a lot of explanation, does it? Jesus is claiming to be the good shepherd. A more literal translation would be, I am the shepherd, the good one. And that is in comparison with the hired hand mentioned in verse 12. On the one hand, you have the shepherd, the good one. On the other, you have a hired hand. Notice, a hired hand is not a shepherd, let alone a good shepherd. Is not the owner of the sheep. So he has no personal investment in these critters. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So when he's confronted with a life-threatening circumstance, at least certainly for the sheep, he exits, runs away, takes off. As a result, the sheep are scattered and snatched. Interesting, that word translated snatched shows up again later in the chapter. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I I give eternal life to them. This is Jesus speaking. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Same word. 
I've got written in the column of my Bible, assurance of salvation. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Not the case with the hired hand. The question is why? Why does the hired hand take off when it's his job to protect the sheep? Well, look at verse 13. Two reasons. He's in it for the money. It's just a job. And secondly, he cares more about his own safety than for the safety of the sheep. He is, and these are not my words, he is, the end of verse 13, not concerned about the sheep. The first word picture, the religious leaders of Judaism were pictured as thieves and robbers. Here they're pictured as hirelings or hired hands. Jesus, on the other hand, claimed to be the shepherd of the sheep, the good one. You may be interested to learn that there are two different Greek words that are translated by that English word good. Agathos means to be, be of good constitution or, or nature, useful, helpful, excellent, distinguished, honorable. That's not the word used here to describe the shepherd. Here in verse 11, the word translated good is kalos and carries the meaning of something that is beautiful, excellent, valuable, precious, useful commendable, admirable, the ultimate prototype or model. You hear the subtle difference? The meaning of good in this context may be best reflected in Chris Tomlin's chorus that we sometimes sing. Light of the world, you step down into darkness, open my eyes and let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether worthy. That's it. That's the meaning of the good found here in the Good Shepherd. He is wonderful. He's lovely. He's altogether worthy. Jesus claimed, I am the good shepherd. Now admittedly, claims are only as credible as the person making the claim. But in this case, Jesus backs up his claim to be the good shepherd. He provides evidence proof on the basis of the criteria or the claim. We're going to see the basis of his claim. It's similar to how he responded to, to doubting Thomas. Remember Thomas, the disciple? Jesus had risen from the dead. Beginning in John chapter 20, verse 24, it reads, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, or Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. When Jesus had presented himself, risen from the dead. So the other disciples told him, 
We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, in my hands, and put your hand in this place in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus not only claims to be the good shepherd, he shows up with his resume in hand. Here is why his claim to be the good shepherd is legitimate. Look first at verses 11 and 13. And the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Unlike the hired hand, Jesus was concerned for the sheep. And the contrast could not be more dramatic. On the one hand, you have a hired hand who runs away, fearing for his own safety. On the other hand, you have a good shepherd who is prepared to lay down his life to protect the sheep. That has to be the primary qualifier in Jesus' mind when it comes to being a good shepherd. The reason I say that is because he refers to it five times in just eight verses. Look at verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Similar statement is repeated in verse 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again in verse 17. Because I lay down my life. And then twice more in verse 18. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. Wow, did we get the message? The good shepherd voluntarily, by his own initiative, is willing to sacrifice his life for the well-being of the sheep. Now that is a visible, practical expression of concern. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. Apostle Paul in Romans wrote, wrote, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But how about for dumb, defenseless, prone to wander sheep? The good shepherd is willing to sacrifice his life for his own sheep. The ultimate expression of concern. The good shepherd is not only concerned for his sheep, he knows and is known by the sheep. Look at verse 14. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own, and my own know me. 
even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Greek word translated know means to understand or know experientially. And that's fine. We get that. That's how our relationships work. The more time we spend with one another, the more we get to know one another. And that can work for us and sometimes not so much so. But exposure and proximity lead to intimacy. And Jesus is intimate with his sheep. Notice verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. And the sheep recognize his voice. There is a familiarity between Jesus and his sheep. But for me, the clincher comes in verse 15. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Folks, that's a pretty tight relationship. In Luke chapter 10, verse 24, it reads, No one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is not suggesting that we have the same level of understanding but there is a mutual opportunity to get to know and be known. Clearly, our capacities to know are, or even be known are much lesser. But he calls his sheep by name, and his sheep hear, recognize, and respond to the shepherd's voice. The good shepherd is concerned for his sheep. He knows and is known by them. Now notice verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Some of you may recall me referring to this verse last week. Jesus with this statement is anticipating the expansion of his ministry into the Gentile world. Israel, as God's chosen people, had always enjoyed a position of privilege and responsibility. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see, Jesus had sheep outside the Jewish sheep pen that he would call by name. They would follow him out of their unbelief and into his fold. They would become one flock with one shepherd called the capital C Church, the universal church. That includes believers from all nations, over all time. That's what the Apostle Paul was referring to in Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And again in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you 
and he's speaking to non-Jews, to Gentiles here, were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. The Good Shepherd brings other sheep and they become one flock with one shepherd. He knows and is known by his sheep. He's also concerned for his sheep to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own life for them. And he willingly fulfills the Father's plans and purposes. Notice verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Let me just quickly state clearly that the Father's love for the Son is not conditional. That is not what Jesus is saying here. The Scriptures present the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as three persons and yet one God. The theological term is the Trinity. Three persons, one God, existing in perfect community. And so there is no room for this kind of conditional love. So what is Jesus saying here with that statement? Simply, the Father's love for the Son is rooted in the Son's voluntary and sacrificial willingness to obey the Father's command as an expression of his love for the Father. That's a mouthful. Let me say it again, and then we'll look at a couple of the additional points from, from these two verses. And granted, these two verses, you could probably spend some time, maybe even a message on it, but we're not going to go there taking long enough going through the Gospel of John. But the Father's love for the Son is rooted in the Son's voluntary and sacrificial willingness to obey the Father's command as an expression of His love for the Father. As I studied these verses, John chapter 14, verse 21 came to mind. He who has my commandments, and this is Jesus speaking, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So Jesus clearly understood this relationship between love and obedience. He understood it, and he preached it. And he also lived it his relationship with the Father. Here's a couple of other additional observations that, that I'd like us to note from these two verses. Verse 17, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. That's a reference to his resurrection. And notice it's so that. 
That's a purpose statement. The resurrection gave the laying down of his life purpose and meaning. Jesus knew that laying down his life for the sheep was never going to be the end of the story. And then secondly, verse 18, I lay it down on my own initiative. What's that mean? No one was holding a gun to Jesus' head. He made the choice to lay down his own life. It was a conscious, premeditated act of his will. Someone has put it this way. He did not die as a martyr killed by men. He died as a substitute, willingly laying down his life for us. Jesus, as the good shepherd, willingly fulfills the Father's plans and purposes as an expression of his love for the Father. He brings other sheep, and they become one flock. He knows and is known by the sheep. He is concerned for the sheep to the point of sacrificing his own life, life for their well-being. And finally, he exposes his opposition. Look at that phrase in verse 19. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Their division exposed their stubborn unbelief and opposition to Jesus and his ministry. Among his own sheep, Jesus brings them together. and They become one flock under one shepherd. His opponents can't even find agreement among themselves. One group promised, proposed that he was demon-possessed and insane. Another, well, they were maybe the more rational opposition, but, but no less enemies of God. They knew that demons, they're, they're destructive agents. Demons do not provide a man born blind from birth with new eyes. Demons would rather take a large herd of pigs possess them, and get them to run down the hill into the lake and drown themselves. Luke chapter 8, verse 33. Demons promote self-destructive behavior. They're not interested in improving our quality of life. The Good Shepherd caused a division that exposed his opposition. He brings other sheep, and they become one flock. He, know, he is known, and he knows his sheep. His concern is for the sheep. Claims are only as credible as the person making the claim. But Jesus backed up his claim to be the shepherd, the good one. And from the Old Testament scriptures, we should know that God shepherds his people. Wayne read earlier from, as we started our service this morning, from Psalm 80, verse 1. O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, 
shine forth. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. But for sure, the clearest presentation of Jesus or as God as Israel's shepherd is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. Turn there with me for just a moment. We'll do a flyover of verse of chapter 34, Ezekiel's prophecy. The first 10 verses, God uses this Old Testament prophet to call out the leaders of Israel for failing to provide God-honoring leadership. He suggests that they should have been shepherds in those first 11 verses, when in fact they've been feeding upon God's people for their own selfish gain. They were thieves and robbers, hired hands. But in verse 11, things take a drastic change. There's a 180 that happens. Notice verse 11. Behold, this is God speaking, the Lord God. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them. Verse 14. I will feed them in a good pasture. Verse 15. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. Drop down to verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. David, King David's been dead for years. This is a clear anticipation of God's Messiah coming. And he will feed them he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, the Messiah, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Look at how it ends, the chapter. Verse 31. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. God was Israel's shepherd. God was also King David's shepherd. Last week I read the 23rd Psalm, expression of, of David's heart. The Lord is my shepherd. This past Tuesday night, they were heading into prayer meeting and Edie handed me a sheet of paper, has on it, The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, that's relationship. I shall not want, that's supply. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, that's rest. He leadeth me beside the still waters, that's refreshment. He restoreth my soul, that's healing. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake. That's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. I will fear no evil. That's protection. For thou art with me. That's faithfulness. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's discipline. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's security. God was King David's shepherd. God was Israel's shepherd. God shepherds his people. So, be good sheep. Not because you have to, but because you want to, as an expression of your love and appreciation for all that the Good Shepherd has done for us. Believe in his name. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Listen, this is the reason why the Apostle John sat down and wrote a fourth account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, These things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. God dressed in human flesh. Fully God, fully man. Believe it. Believe it enough to tr trust him with your entire life. Secondly, worship him. Believe in his name and worship him. Remember what happened to, to that man that was born blind when he was put out of the synagogue? Jesus found him. The man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're told to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship him. Not just with your lips on Sunday morning, but worship him by the way you act and react, by your words and your deeds, every minute of every day. Accept his care. Isaiah 41.10, it's a verse that I've been working as part of my memory work. Do not fear. For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. He's concerned for you. He's a good shepherd. Obey his commands is the fourth one. I've referred to John chapter 14, verse 21 earlier. 
He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He loves me, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, will disclose myself to him. Love him enough to obey him. Even when it's inconvenient, or when you don't feel like it, or when nobody else around you is, is obeying it, or when everybody is trying to get you to do something else or be someone else. Just obey him because you love him. Jesus is the good shepherd. Let's be good sheep. Believe in his name. Worship him. Accept his care. And obey his commands. Let's pray. There's a hymn that has been one of the church's favorites down through the years. And I'm going to close with a prayer based on that hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood how his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell, clothed in flesh, till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. By your power and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.